New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and it is Tuesday, which means it's time to talk some MLS. To do so, I'm joined by two friends. Up first, a man who could still try to sneak onto that U20 roster. It's Joe Lowry. Hi, Joe. Hello. Yeah, you know, definitely 100,000% still in the age cutoff. Yep. Uh, I, I I was really hoping for the call from Mikey, and it, it just never came. I, I, I assumed that he didn't have my number right. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, phone numbers are hard. And, and so I, I, I guess that's probably what it was. So I was going to go down to Argentina anyway, but then I heard that I was doing this show, and it, I don't know, it just didn't make yeah. sense. So. Conflicts. I get you. Yeah, conf- if you conflicts, had, exactly. If, if you had covered the team in person, do you think you could have made an effort to sneak on the team bus? Do you think anybody would have noticed you? Um... Yeah, probably. I don't look exactly <laughs> like a uh, even a U twenty professional athlete, so I don't think that would have gone great. I have I've had the opportunity to talk with a, a number of different guys on that U twenty squad. I don't think we're tight enough for them to be like, yo, like we'll get you on. Or we'll, actually, I know that we're not. Let's be clear. But like maybe if I I give Caleb Wiley the puppy dog eyes that I don't have but could try to have, he let me sit next to him on the on the bus. It doesn't feel likely. Is that who you're going with? Is that who you would if I if I said Joe try to sneak out of the bus? Yeah. Who's the contact you're reaching out to? Is it Caleb yes, Wiley? That's okay. the one. Yeah, that's that's gonna be the one. I mean, Caleb Wiley. I interviewed him for a story that I wrote for Bacchial, the feature on him when he was here with the U.S. men's national team in Phoenix for that game against Mexico last month. And then Taylor, you and I and, and Goss were all in New York together like the next day yep. for the actual game. So I didn't get to see the U.S. play in person in Glendale for that game, but I did have the chance to talk with Caleb Wiley, and he was. A really well-spoken and, and kind and, and generous with his time guy. I was, I was really thankful for that. It's It can be hit and miss when you talk with some younger players in terms of the insight you'll get from them, right? In terms of them hanging out and, and having a good time. Like, you can have a good conversation. But in terms of getting, you know, really insightful bits out of them, it can be difficult. Uh, but Caleb Wiley was great. So, yeah, I, I would attempt to start with him and I would fail. Uh, well, speaking of kind, well-spoken, and generous, Matt Doyle is not here today, but David Goss is. Hello, David. I know that you don't even believe that. I'm not even sure I believe that about Matt Doyle, but I did want to troll you right out of the gate. Shout out to Matt Doyle. <laughs> uh, your actual introduction, David, was joining us as a man who is no longer baking in the sun on the sidelines of youth soccer games in Maryland. It's David Goss. Hello, David. Hello. That sounds a bit more accurate. Um, I actually did. I think I called two games that Joe Lowry played in. So I've gotten a good a good view of his style at the youth how'd levels. How'd I do? Goss, how'd I do? Yeah. How'd I, I, do? I think you have real pro potential if you work on those things that we're focusing on. Right. Okay. Right. I, Sounds good. Gus, I've heard I've heard that like John Stewart's stand up when he was an edgy early nineties comedian 
what often culminated in him laying on the stage on his back, just smoking a cigarette and ranting into the air. That is sort of how I picture you by the end of this tournament, just sort of ranting about the world of football as the sun ba- like beats down upon you. H- how was uh, calling multiple, multiple, multiple games uh, in a day over multiple days? Yeah, my version of that is eating a Panera falafel wrap in the middle of a game Oof. at that point, my ninth of the week, um, <laughs> and just talking about how I could fall apart at the exact moment. It was fine. I'm very appreciative of all the coaches who were super helpful. Um, I like soccer for the most yeah. part. But it was a lot, and it was a bizarre experience, and I will probably do like 30 more. So once in a lifetime, you know? I'm choosing to believe that the U-20 World Cup is, is ongoing, and Goss is such a soccer hipster that he was like, nah, U-15s and yeah. U-19s. That's yeah. where it's really at. That's what I'm all about. If it, has, if it has the two words World Cup in it, it's not hipster enough, yeah. regardless the of team, the age group. If the team doesn't have a generic club name that makes no sense for where they're from, for example, City SC from Carlsbad, California. No offense, there are other cities, and they don't even use that name. Nope, just Carlsbad. I don't think Carlsbad gets that. So the one option is I will only broadcast teams that have the most generic names humanly possible to make it as hard as possible to recognize who they are. Or the most random name, like the Michigan Jaguars, because the native Jaguar of Michigan is one of the most well-known animals. There's a part of me that thinks like maybe there was a Jaguar in Michigan many, many, many years ago, but mostly it just seems like one of those names that they've they've come up with. Uh, Will be the Jaguar team, yeah, the Velociraptors, yeah, exactly. (laughs) You get it, Uh, Gus. Who are the teams that you found most engaging when you were covering them? Like either from a ran people over or had the technical ability standpoint, whatever you want to go with. Um. I thought the Revs were really impressive. I've seen them a couple times, but they're doing some really interesting things with their academy. They have a lot of players that they're sort of projecting as pros that they're converting positions now rather than when you're Brandon buying Dewan Jones at 22 or 23, which I think is an interesting thing to do. And the way they do it in their system is like watching tape of the players at the Revs first team level, not Man City and Real Madrid and sort of finding how you'll fit in at the next ranks. And they were really impressive and really good. So that was one. Um, we saw Barcelona's residency out of Arizona, which is a unique club with a unique group of players. It felt like the embodiment of that tweet where the I don't remember who said it, where it was like every MLS game you turn on and there's some phenom kid named Cade McDowell or whatever it is. And like that team feels like that, where it's like every kid has the same name as a previous youth national team stud, and they all look the same, and they're wearing the full Barca kit with the Spotify logo and everything. And you're like, what is this world we're in? Um, And they played some impressive soccer. I saw them against the Sounders as well. And then some of the big clubs that I just, I grew up, I was okay at soccer. We played like an FC Delco or a Gachi because I was in the Northeast, but I didn't play against a Varder or a Soccers FC, or some of these massive clubs that I've heard about a million times and national team players have come from and all that. So it was cool to sort of rub shoulders with those teams and see how they now fit in the environment. Uh, And Sacramento Republic was the other one. I've seen Sacramento Republic's academy at different age groups, different years, multiple times, and I've never walked away not being like, that's one of the best teams I've ever seen. They play a good brand of soccer, but it seems like something in the academy, and the academy staff has changed so i'm not sure where it comes from 
they have that like competitive edge to everything they do. And I don't know if it's like in MLS settings, they're like us against the world or we're underdogs or whatever. Um, last tournament I went to, the GA Cup, I think nine teams had guest players from Sacramento because they are not invited to the GA Cup as a non-MLS team. That's like the level of talent they have. Uh, and so then to come back in and I watched them beat the Philadelphia Union at the U-17 level, which was a big one. Um, so they were really impressive as well. Do either of you do anything to remember all the players that you've watched? Like, I know some people will keep, like, gigantic spreadsheets of every player. You do? Do you take notes? So I do. I use Google Docs for my notes for games. So every game I do, I have a Google Doc with the players' names and any stats I have, any information, any whatever. After I finish any game I call, I go back through and I at least leave a one-sentence note on every player I saw above their name. And so if you were to name a player that I have ever seen, I can just type their name into my Google Drive. It'll search. It'll find the document I have them in, and I will go find it. So any USL player or CONCACAF player or youth national team player or youth player. So like that, and it's fortunate because I'm starting to see teams again and again or guys break through to the pro ranks. And it's like, I think I know that name, right? Jake Davis. Type in Jake Davis. All of the options come up. I go through the docs. I find the time I saw him, my thoughts on him, what I was told about him, you know, whatever I have in my head that I can could potentially be useful or I want to remember. That's where I have it. I think that's like an objectively good thing to do. Yeah. And I, I definitely do not do that because it feels like a lot of work. I rely on my brain and then I think like, oh, you know, maybe I took one random note about this guy somewhere in my notes app and then I type the name into my notes app and I usually can't find it. So it's not a great system that I operate with, but it it's it's a system. Yeah, it, it is a true sign of my slash our soccer nerddom that Goss saying that Joe and I were both like, whoa, that's so cool. <laughs> like you've got a database of player names with no like yeah. and it is genuinely cool. But I think it for having made fun of you for being a soccer hipster. Uh, I feel like I, I just showed my hipster cards right there. You should uh, see my so- old super draft notes. Those are disgusting. <laughs> That's I was going to ask stuff. if you have notes on Bobby Warshaw, the player. I, I, I do I not because that was before me <laughs> yeah. slightly. Um, but I will tell you that. So I've worked with a few people who have been drafted since I've worked. And me and Bobby have covered them in their combine or their draft. And you better believe they remember every single word that we said about them. <sighs> so uh, that goes well. I'm guessing the parents also remember. Yeah, the parents remember, <laughs> too. That sounds about right. Uh, I'm guessing the parents will remember uh, their players' U20 World Cup experiences. Uh, We've got one game in the book for the United States, another one on the way this afternoon. But Joe, the U.S. beating Ecuador 1-0, I know that was a game that you had kind of spotlighted as being the the potentially the trickiest, the most difficult Ecuador, historically pretty good at at youth levels and a challenging opponent. The U.S. getting a 1-0 win, not a bad way to start. Not at all. And it it was a really fun game. Like, it, it was a fun game of soccer. The U.S. controlled... The vast majority of it largely playing out of this back three. They played with a 3-4-3. And there there are holes and different issues with the roster because of player availability and who was released and who wasn't, right? There are all of those issues. But this U.S. team has real talent. On the technical side especially, this is a very, very technical group. And you could see that in how they approached this match. They dominated. Like, like they dominated the ball. They weren't creating the lion's share of the chances. Neither team created all that much in this game. But in the run of play, the U.S. is very clearly the superior and more talented team in this match. Some, some different players that stood out to me uh, in, in this game for the U.S. First is Brandon Craig, young center back for the Philadelphia Union. 
just turned 19, I think a month and a half ago, is not a player that I had seen much of at all prior to this tournament because he never plays for the Union. This kid can ping a pass. Like, if you squint, you you, you might trick yourself into thinking that you're looking at John Brooks. Like, that, just to give you some some help on, on what this kid can pass like. He's right-footed, not left-footed, from what I can tell, so there's a, a distinction there. But his distribution was unreal in this game. And from what I've heard, I listened to Scuff's recap of this game afterwards, which is very, very good. Like, that's his rep. That's his, that's his biggest skill as a, as a young prospect is his distribution. I thought he was excellent. The defensive ability is a bit more of a question mark, but, man, if he can add something to his, his on-ball work, he's going to be really, really good. I also, I like watching Diego Luna, young number nine, move from El Paso to RSL midway through last season, is the the player involved in the record USL to MLS transfer fee deal. Uh, he's like five foot eight, which might be generous, kind of a stocky kid, and really weird build, doesn't play for RSL, Pablo Mastrani doesn't trust him, I guess, to defend, which is in some ways reasonable. But like this kid can ball. This is the kid you want on your like Sunday league team. He's built for that kind of soccer. And the good thing for him is the U.S. kind of play that kind of soccer. They, they try to go out there and play and combine and hold the ball. And he basically just becomes another midfielder wherever he's playing. In this game, it was as a nine. In other games, it'll probably be deeper. In other games, it might be a little bit wider. He just is a, a magnet for the ball and does crazy stuff when he gets on it. Like, Taylor, if you're going to watch any of this competition or listeners, if you're going to watch any of it, like, just focus on Diego Luna for 10 minutes. And I think you will feel something. I think it will be joy. It might be incredible frustration and confusion, but I think it will be joy. Uh, in general, that was kind of my opinion on this U.S. team. A little bit of frustration that they weren't creating chances, but joy in how they played, joy in, in a lot of strong performances from various players and Ultimately, joy in Jonathan Gomez's goal towards the, the very end of this game, stoppage time winner, a banger, really coming in from the right side, hits it really well, scores the U.S. pretty much get a walk-off win in game one of the group stage. They'll get a little bit stronger pretty much every game from here as they get Kate Cowell back from suspension. They'll get a couple of players in after the group stage, and it certainly looks like the U.S. will continue after the group stage. It was fun. It was fun. If you want to have fun, watch this team play Fiji later today. And, and Joe, real quick, what was the like the basic shape for people who haven't been watching? Like, so, what is the uh, the style they're going for? For the vast majority of this game, it looked like a three four three, where you had three center backs in the in the back. You had two wing backs, kind of going up and down. You had two really narrow wingers. The U.S. doesn't have a lot of wingers or even like, high quality attackers. Luna is kind of the, the the shiniest one. Darren Yappy coming off the bench is another one as a number nine for the Rapids. Like they're they're light in that spot. So I think we're going to see Mikey Varis do some different things throughout this tournament. Usually it was a 4-3-3 in qualifying, but it was a 3-4-3, super possession heavy. They built out of a back four and then shifted players as they they got into sort of controlled progression higher up the field. Yeah, keeping the ball, pressing high, doing all that that sort of stuff. You mentioned getting stronger. Kate Cowell will come back from suspension. And then Kevin Paredes yep. is on the roster, is still with Wolfsburg. So he... Should return after the group stage. I think there's two players that should join after yeah, the group stage. Roberto Puskas as well. Right. And uh, the best third place teams get out. The U.S. just beat Ecuador, who are probably the best team in the group. They play Fiji later today. I think we can chalk that up as the three points. So the assumption being that they will have clinched their spot in the next round by the end of match day two. Slovakia were hosts of their qualifying tournament. They got through as a third-place team from their group and then beat Austria 1-0 on a playoff. So this is not a strong group, as Joe mentioned. Like, this was the game to highlight. They won 1-0. That sets the stage. They're probably safe through to the next round. So you assum- your assumption is those two guys can join you and help you strengthen. I thought the only frustration, really, is Luna and Quinn Sullivan are not 
center forwards, and I thought they looked um, the team looked like they could use a bit more of a reference point. I didn't see it a ton when Yappy came off the bench. I think some of that was game states. Like the U.S. was actually less in the ascendancy dominant wise in that second half, but I was impressed by them as well. I thought their defensive structure was fantastic. Um, I think Jack McGlynn, you just watch him pass the ball, like just the way he strikes it, the strength he hits it with, always the right speed, always the right spin. He didn't create chances pure, although he had one just offside from Gomez where it's like he sees him on the far post and he puts it in the only place he could for Gomez to get to it. uh, And Gomez missed and then the flag went up. So it was fun. I've said a few times, I, I don't really think this is as important as it used to be for us as U.S. fans because I think the pro ranks have built out youth development, and I think there's places for these players to get noticed, hence why guys are not here, where they can be sold to higher-level teams and whatever. But I still want to see a U.S. team win something. Like, it's fun, and it's fun to watch them go up against an Ecuador, right, or a Slovakia or a Brazil or an Italy or whatever ends up happening. Fiji um, disrespect. I mean, that was that was crazy Fiji disrespect. Yeah, yeah. honestly shocking from guys. Yeah, it is. Uh, but it's there, so just accept it. <laughs> I like, I like Goss is just like, yep, that is correct. That that is what I was doing, and I refuse to apologize, yeah. which I do appreciate. We would expect the U.S. to beat Fiji, uh, and then we'll see what happens against Slovakia. But either way, uh, optimistic feelings about the U.S. winning that opener. Uh, let's take a quick break, and then we will get into some Major League Soccer action. Back soon. New game day shirt, boom, cash back. Food for the tailgate, boom cash back even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card and yes i said debit card with discover cashback debit everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases look in sports it's hard to predict who is taking the win but you know what's guaranteed to win discover cashback debit oh and did i mention there are no fees period i'm telling you this one it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from another retirement account with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match. This offer is good through April 30th. Get started at Robinhood.com slash boost subscription fees apply. And now for some legal info. Claim as of Q1 2024 validated by Radius Global Market Research. Investing involves risk including loss. Limitations apply to IRAs and 401ks. 3% match requires Robinhood Gold for one year from the date of first 3% match. Must keep Robinhood IRA for five years. The 3% matching on transfers is subject to special terms and conditions. Robinhood IRA available to U.S. customers in good standing. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker. Broker dealer. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show. We're going to try something new this week. It's not all that innovative, but we want to try to change it up every now and then and, and find some new approaches to talking MLS. So this week, we're going to debut the three up, three down. Uh, each of my uh, co-hosts has three things that are sort of stock up. Uh, that could be an individual player, an individual performance, an individual moment, or a team, a coach, whatever it is, but then also three things that they are 
more down on. So we can sort of cover different teams, different players, whatever you all want it to be. Tactical trends, uh, passes to the other team. That seems to keep happening a lot. Uh, Joe, why don't you get us started? Uh, could be positive or negative. I'd leave it to you. All right, I'll start us with an up. My first up is Atlanta United specific, and it has to do with them making very one key move in the last week. I was like, where are we going with this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to be specific here. It's about selling Luis Araujo. So this is uh, reporting, I think, was first broke by the, shoot, what's the paper in Atlanta? The Atlanta Journal-Constitution? Is that what? I I think that's what it is. AJC. AJC, baby. It was first broke, broke by Doug Robertson from the AJC, basically saying that they're selling Luis Araujo to Flamingo down in Brazil for about $10 million. So that the Athletic and others have, have since confirmed that move. They've talked about it down in Atlanta. It is happening. He'll be gone from the club in about a month, so in June. And at 26, Arujo joined Atlanta back in 2021 as a DP, came over from Lille. That was a big move. Like They spent $9.5 million to sign this guy, who when you watch the tape, looks incredible. Like He has so much skill. He can do so many things on the wing. He has speed. He has a good low center of gravity, very shifty, super technical, can play passes, can score goals. The emphasis, though, on all that stuff is can and not did with Atlanta United. So he scored just 11 MLS goals <laughs> in more than 4,000 MLS minutes with Atlanta. And I, I tweeted this out after the news of this broke and Atlanta confirmed it. That comes out to 0.23 goals <laughs> per 90 minutes. So he's scoring a goal like once oh, well, every when you break it into four the 90 full minutes, games. Then it changes. <laughs> it's, it's bad, right? It, it's not it's not even like above average MLS starter level. It's it's certainly not designated player level. The talent that is so obvious with Araujo never turned into consistent production. Like a good chance, right, this, I think this is a good chance for Atlanta to snag a better option for him in the summer, especially with questions around what's happening with Thiago Almada. He's probably going to move, but will he be loaned back for the rest of the season? Will he just leave? And now you have two DP spots to fill in your attack. There's a lot of questions about what's going on with Atlanta right now. They need a big summer transfer window. They need a central midfielder as well. They will need another attacking player. Garth Lagoway is going to have big decisions to make. But even with mixed results over the last, I don't know, six games, they've won just one of their last six games, getting Araujo off the books is, I think, a, a massive win. And getting that return is crazy. Like, getting that return is, is insane. Yeah. yeah, they paid salary. But basically, recouping the transfer fee, I know there were reports that that the fee was $12 million, but I think Felipe Cardenas made sure to, to specify that that was only $12 million if certain performance incentives were met. Otherwise, it was nine point five, and we don't know if those incentives were met or not. But I would feel pretty good about them not having been met. So I think this is a massive win for Atlanta. Cutting their losses for the most part, they took a little bit of a hit here, but, I mean, just pretty darn good business by Garth Lagerway and, and, and the other folks behind the scenes down south. And when Garth Lagerway came into this club, I would assume the five highest paid player slash transfer fees he had on the roster were Tiago Almada, Marcelino Moreno, um, Luis Araujo, Alan Franco, and then, I don't know, who else? Sorry, I went one more than I was supposed to. Uh, (laughs) He has now shed three of those four, and the other one won a World Cup and is the best player on the team. And like when you come into a team in a situation that Garth Lagerwey did, the team was bad. So change was necessary, not like when he came to Seattle and it was sort of keeping things the way it was, but improving them. Um, And he's created flexibility for himself to work. He's done well already. Giacomacchius as a replacement for Marcelino Moreno seems to be a home run or Joseph Martinez, whichever one you want to call him a replacement for. 
and he's brought in Luis Abram in place of um, Alan Franco. They've saved money, I think, on that move overall. I think Franco is more expensive, and they sent him down to Brazil. Basically, Garth Lagerwey found the one league in the Americas that has enough money to buy players from MLS, and he's just milking it for everything he can. And so the keys there are Arthur Blank's really rich. He can spend money if he wants to. But now, Garth Lagerwey, at least, at a minimum, has the money he made back to respend. The assumption being Blank's not going to take that out of the club. If anything, he'll put more in, but that's not a guarantee. So Garth Lagerwey's created space for himself to work. He's created space for himself to build a club the way he sees it and envisions it. And I think the Almada stuff's important that Joe mentioned because it has always felt like the right way to build this is to have a staple, to have a young DP who's sort of learning and to be sold around them, and then the right flexible third piece to fit with whatever else is coming in and out. So Almiron was the original young piece. Joseph was supposed to be the staple that stuck around for a while as you brought the Barcos in and then the Almadas in and then whatever else. And then you need a third player who I think can fit with different pieces. Araujo, for all the lack of his production, was also fairly specific in what he was capable of. So can you find a more flexible piece where you look at it? Let's talk about a Jao Paulo, who could play as a six, who could play as an eight, who could play as a 10 that Garth Lagaway brought in at Seattle. I think that's sort of the type of player, not position-wise, but profile-wise you're looking at now to say, okay, can we build this Atlanta United thing into something sustainable where we can consistently win while also being the MLS club that sells young Argentines for 25, 35, 40 million, year, 40 million dollars? Joe, does that check with what you were feeling? Yeah, it, it does. Like, There's been a lot of progress on the roster side in Atlanta. I think, this, like I said, this next window is going to be massive for them to actually figure out how to take this group forward. Garth has already done a lot of work behind the scenes and, and in front of the scenes as well. But like, this is a real test. Mid-season, building the plane as you're flying it, trying to figure out, okay, how do we add in midfield? How do we still add in the attack? Like, Goss, I agree. Finding a, this is not a hot take, finding a Joe Paolo type player for a midfield would be a great thing for Atlanta United. They desperately need that. I think we've seen that in some of the recent results. But they're just not fully capable of building through the central midfield area like they need Almada to drop a little bit deeper or or he wants to and they can't really compensate for that there are issues there uh, they also are gonna need another attacker like Yakimakis has been fantastic like they have absolutely nailed that signing he looks like the best number nine in major league soccer he's been that good and he hasn't even played a ton because he's been dealing with some injuries he's a really really good player that everybody around the league is going to be terrified of for the rest of the season but they, they're still going to need something else in the attack even if Amada stays, I think they're still going to need to sign another winger. I don't think you can rock into the the summer and, and really rock into the, the rest of the season, League's Cup, all this stuff, with Caleb Wiley and Derek Etienne Jr. as your two starting wingers. I don't I don't think you can do it and really claim that you're going out there and trying to be a real player in Major League Soccer. Nothing against those two players, but they're they're much more of complementary attacking pieces than they are focal points. And I think Atlanta maybe need one other above-average piece out there. So lots of big decisions to be made. You look at the squad. I like pretty much every domino that Garth has pushed over since he's gone there. I think this team is is getting to the point where they're going to be sustainably better really sooner rather than later. We could also uh, talk about how bad they were this weekend, but I think that's a slightly <laughs> different conversation. Hey, it is. It, that's it up is. to you if you want that to be one of your down things. No, guys. That, come to I, you. Have, I have bigger things that have gone down than that. All right. So what, what, where are we going with you, positive or negative to start? Up uh, or down? I'm a positive guy. All right. 
So I think <laughs> I, I laugh at the silence and blank facial yeah. expressions that followed that statement. Continue. There was two big positives this weekend, I think. So I'll start with Lucho Acosta. Um, I thought this was the best MLS game of the year, and it might end up being the best MLS game of 2023. So if you haven't watched, like Columbus against Cincinnati, rivalry, TQLs, always energetic. It was on a different level. 3-2 game, quality across the field, different identities, coaching staffs that sort of have an idea of who they are. Like so much going into this. But I voted Lucho Acosta as my MVP month one of the season. He got hurt. He was out a little bit. They've struggled to score. Brenner gets sold. Um, He has fallen behind in a lot of the statistical categories or underlying numbers that would have put him in. I think, Joe, when we had the convo about our quarter-end awards, whatever it was, one-third awards, I didn't mention him, I don't think. Um, And I went with Espinosa at the time, but, like, Almada was the other obvious one. I don't think Lucho was still in the convo. So for him to step up in the last two games – Scored twice against Montreal. Um, dominant, I think, in this game. And you saw for Cincinnati what he is, which is he is an attack unto himself. There are a few players in MLS who are capable of that. And you have now with Miazga, a back three, and Celentano and Nuoboto, an elite defensive unit, even though they gave up two goals in this game, and a defensive unit that's kept them in the supporter shield race so far this season. We don't know how much Brenner will play. We don't know who the other forward will be when he's gone. We don't know how long Brandon Vasquez will be there. Uh, Lucho will need to carry this team for large stretches of this season. He has stepped back into that over the last few weeks. He's looked phenomenal. He's made the right reads in the high press to create big chances. He beats guys 1v1. That's the biggest thing he does for this team. He takes defenders out of the play in unexpected moments to shift things when everything is becomes vertical and too direct and too simple for defenses to to work against Cincinnati, he's the one who breaks the game open and makes something special happen. And so I think to step up in this moment against your rival, rivalry week, supporter shield race, sort of in the balance early on, stuff like that, I just think was a huge moment for him to sort of stamp his name as one of the MVP front runners. Yeah. Yeah, that that take from you in month one was a bit ludicrous, but I yeah. can see some of the the motivation behind it. As, even as Diago Amada hit hit free kick after free kick, like this guy is crazy good, and everybody knows it at this point. He is the the thing that makes Cincinnati tick. What impresses me so much about Acosta, and and I agree with you guys, this game was fantastic, and we talked about it a bit on yesterday's show. Is, what what stands out is how much he runs. Like I wish we still had the second spectrum numbers for this year, and, and that's not a thing anymore, unfortunately. But compared to other number 10s in MLS, and part of this is a style thing, like part of this is, is how Pat Noonan wants to play, but compared to the other luxury number 10s, like the guys that are going to thread balls in behind the back line, that are going to nutmeg people multiple times a game, which I, I think Lucho Acosta successfully did in this one against Columbus, he he moves, he runs, he presses. You know, Daniel Gazdag does that stuff. And, and Daniel Gazdag doesn't bring you the other attacking stuff, right? So he's, he's able to bridge the gap and basically allow you to play at times, sure, maybe you're you're half a man down because he's taking a playoff, but by and large, like he allows you to play 10v10 in the outfield, which is not something you always get from other number 10s around Major League Soccer. He's phenomenal. This game was great. I enjoyed a lot of it. Uh, I've got a I've got a Columbus slash Cincinnati on mine. It's Columbus. It's not Cincinnati. I don't know why I said Cincinnati, but I've got one that sort of stemmed from this game as well um, that I'll get to whenever Taylor tells me I can, but it was, it was now, a great game. Friend. Go for it. Oh, boom. There it is. Lucio Costa was great. I also, generally speaking have Columbus as a hard stock up right now. 
Like, they were very good in this game against Cincinnati. Yeah, they lose 3-2. to two. There are some big mistakes, but I've been so impressed by their style. I think it is so clear. What Will Fernandez wants to do is, is so obvious. They've become this team now that is maybe the most identifiable in all of Major League Soccer. Even when they're missing players, they're plugging players into different spots, and they look fairly comfortable as well. Everything is so clear and observable about this team. They have the most possession in the league. They're fourth in non-penalty expected goals per 90 minutes. That that number is still a little inflated from that like 87 to one win over RSL earlier this season when RSL was missing about half their players. Those numbers are, are still a bit higher than they probably would be in, in more recent weeks. But this team is so good. Like they're really fun to watch. I don't think they're you know, the best team or even maybe the, one of the three or four best teams in the Eastern Conference. But compared to where they've been, to where they are now, it's it's a massive improvement from this club. Even week to week, I feel like we're seeing this attack improve. We're seeing the players grow more comfortable. Nance is getting things that I never thought he would get out of. Players like Philip Quinton and Steven Marrera and like Mo Farce. I mean, he's getting so much out of these players that are not high-profile MLSers. He's even got Aiden Morris in, a, in the midst of a dual national panic as well. And I think he deserves real credit for that. That whole Aiden Morris storyline, I think, is a fascinating one right now as well. But just generally, things are good in Columbus. Vibes are good. I know they just lost their you know their biggest game of the season so far. But I, I don't think you can look at this team and, and not be impressed, at least relative to where they've been. Gus, knowing you, the little that I do, I am still going to conclude that you were stoked when you saw that Aiden Morris was on both the U.S. and uh, no. Canada's rosters. Was, was that not, not. Or not even stoked, but just sort of like, oh, yeah. here we go. I didn't know he was Canadian. I've talked to a lot of Canadian it people. It sounds like about no one him. did. Yeah, it sounds like he didn't know he was Canadian <laughs> either. Um, I think it would be a massive loss for the U.S. When I look at the U.S. depth chart, the number six is the biggest hole, I think, um, behind Tyler Adams, who's never healthy, which is unfortunate, and I love Tyler. Um, and I do think Aiden Morris also brings another element to the position. He is also a big game player. Like, as a teenager who has never started in MLS, he stepped into MLS Cup and shut down Nico Ladero and won MLS Cup in the middle of a global pandemic. So everything about what Aiden Morris does I love. Will he continue to scale up and improve and be a full international player? I'm not sure. Although I would say right now he's probably a Canada roster player. And like at that position, replacing Atiba Hutchinson, um, he's better than Sam Piet probably today. So he's already in that conversation. I think if Canada were to get him, it would be a huge get for them. And I think he would probably solidify himself. They're qualified for the World Cup. Like you're going to be at a World Cup if you're healthy if he decides on Canada over the next few months or however this process works for him. But I think it would be a massive loss for the U.S. I think he's a better passer than Tyler. There's no question about that. And it brings some flexibility, too. I don't believe the U.S. at their best has Weston McKinney next to Tyler Adams consistently. So I think you have a guy, Nathan Morris, who could play with Tyler. He could fill in for him. So now you have more depth, and he can sort of help change the way you play. And he has gotten better. He's still young and he has gotten better every year he's been in the professional ranks Joe, I know I, you've uh, been very excited about the Florin Balogun uh commitment does, does this bring it down do you feel like back to neutral the potential loss of Aiden Morris I mean it is it's a it's a big blow um no, no this hasn't brought me back down to earth <laughs> I couldn't even come close to sincerity with that I, Go ahead. I don't think I've ever agreed less with something that Goss has said than everything he just said mostly just with the use of the word massive 
Losing Aiden Morris is a loss. Like Aiden Morris is a productive professional soccer player in MLS. He's still young. He's growing. He's good at a lot of things. I I just don't think he's even top three on the U.S.'s number six depth chart right now. And you want to have as much talent in your pool as you can, right? So I'm not advocating for Aiden Morris to go and play for Canada. It would be a loss. But I don't think Aiden Morris is is really remotely close to impacting the U.S. in a big game. Tyler Adams... Kellen Acosta, James Sands should all be above Aiden Morris with the with the work that they've done in their career. And I know that Morris is younger than all those guys, mm-hmm. right? I, I'm I'm aware of that idea. But three back on a on a depth chart for a midfield position where you know there's not even a guarantee that you're playing with a single six is pretty far back. Like you're you're a, a number of injuries and tactical changes away from being in a position where you're called upon to impact the team in a Copa America or in a, a Nations League game against Mexico or whatever this is. I Today. just when I watch when I watch Aiden Morris, I see a lot of good stuff. He's mobile. He can string passes together. A lot of his numbers are inflated because he plays for the Crew, which I just talked about as the most ball dominant team in MLS. So he's around the ball more than basically every other player in Major League Soccer. Which means you go on some place like FB Ref, which is incredibly helpful. But you go on there and you see that his his scouting reports all green. He's like you know eighty five percentile plus in every different attribute. It's not all Aiden Morris being a, a crazy good player. A lot of it is he's just around the ball all the time. So for me, it's it's a little early on on this whole Aiden Morris discussion. He was great in MLS Cup, looked like Tyler Adams in that game, was really fun against Seattle. The crew won that game. That was amazing. Then he, he didn't play much because he was injured. Now he's back, and the style's changed, and I think he's still learning and growing. I saw him in person back in January against Serbia in that January camp game. He, he didn't stand out, right? I, I just am not there yet, and I think there's enough other players ahead of him in the pipeline that – He's still a pretty long way off from impact in the U.S., and that's that's fine. But I think if he goes to Canada, he's going to play more um, than, than certainly he would for the U.S. in the near future. Gus, let me ask you this. Is it a bigger get for Canada or a bigger loss for the United States? I think it would be a huge get for Canada because that is probably one of their thinnest positions, and he would insert himself at 21 for the next 10-plus years when healthy, um, and that's sort of – one of their big fears. I mean, even at the World Cup, right? They started Tiba Hutchinson, who is a legend, but is also a thousand years old. And Mark Anthony Kay has fallen off way faster than anyone expected. Osorio is also physically falling off, and Kone's not a deep lying defensive midfielder. There is not an obvious one who's coming through who is a game changer at that position. So I think he'd be huge. Also, as I said, I think his ability to play on the ball means he can play in different setups. So not only would he be a massive pickup, but he's also flexible with who comes through next. Is it Kone or is it someone else that I don't even know? Um, Is it some dual national that they're able to convince otherwise? So like, I think he gives them a lot of options. I will say on the U.S. side, I don't think this is a deep position of development right now. Like, I think James Sands is a great shout, 22 years old. There are not a lot of young sixes yeah, that are that's coming fair. through. And there's not a lot of groups that I've been around that have said, oh, we think this guy's the future. The U-20 team is probably the best example. There are. Obed Vargas is probably the big one. Um, Daniel Edelman, already a captain-level player, is one as well. So that group, I think, is the best example of what's coming. But again, they're also a few years behind. So yeah. I think in that space in between, if it's not Sands, I think it's Aiden Morris. I think Sands a, uh, Morris a better passer. Then Sands, sure. and um, I don't really know what the next few years for James Sands looks like as well. Yeah, I, I agree. With, 
I agree with all of that stuff. I just think, like, I'm not I'm not convinced that the gap between Aiden Morris and a player like Daniel Edelman is particularly large. I guess I think that's just kind of where I fall. Yeah, and I so I think fair. you you want Aiden Morris in the pool. You want him in the depth chart. You want to be able to use him. He has done more in his career than someone like Vargas or someone like Edelman. But I just think it's it's too early to feel like this is a massive loss. It might turn into one, and he might become like the greatest defensive midfielder on this continent since Tyler Adams. And then you're kicking yourself. How do we but clip? Then this? I'm kicking myself. But I'm just I'm just not there yet on him. How do we clip this for prosperity so that we can throw it in Joe's face as Aiden Morris lifts the ball in door <laughs> after his third Champions <laughs> League win? You have under, a spreadsheet. We've already talked under about it. Carl yeah, just down. I will go through and clip it on the day that Aiden Morris wins the Ballon d'Or, and I will tweet it for you. Okay. It was wild when he took down Jude Bellingham from behind on that clean tackle to win his third Champions League. Especially because they're on the same team. That was like really weird. (laughs) (laughs) It's so cool, those clips, when Chiuameni's asking him for advice of how to position his body in in defensive (laughs) spots. I hope he just has a half USA, half Canada scarf to really bring the message home. Uh, Gentlemen, go ahead, guys. I was going to say, the key here is who's got the inside track on Jake Morris's. Uh, dual nationality because Aiden Morris's older brother Jake just signed a homegrown deal with Columbus. That is the real focus. Older That's or younger? The third eye. Keep your older, third eye. Yeah. yeah, he went to college. Interesting. Yeah, he, right. I think Italy's got the inside track on him because they're they're also eligible for Italy from what I've read. What? So yeah, I've, I've heard he's going to be big. The classic over there Morris Italy. family from Sicily. I knew there was a chance that this show would go straight into the weeds, and we have done just that. So we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with more uh, MLS, USA, Canada weed chat in just a second. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Shopify, who would like to remind you that not everyone can be Erling Holland or Harry Kane. I would say only Erling Holland and Harry Kane can be Erling Holland and Harry Kane. But more to the point... Not everyone can score the number of goals that those two score. Not everyone can set the goal-scoring record. Sometimes you've got to be the teammate. Sometimes you've got to be the assists uh, person. You've got to be Kieran Trippier or Kevin DeBarna. You've got to spread the ball around. You've got to help facilitate that attacking play and those goals to help get the results you want. Because you need that perfect teammate. And when you need a perfect teammate when it comes to growing your business, Shopify has you covered. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. That feels like a good stage to be at. Shopify is there to help you grow along the way. How do they do that? Well, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. You can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. So you don't have somebody kind of following you around the online store just saying, can I help you, can I help you, can I help you? Nobody needs that in real life or online, but Shopify's AI gets the job done. And that is a very unique aspect of Shopify that no matter how big your business is, and that's something I really appreciate, you can be a a podcast just starting up, a podcast that's been here for a while, or a business that actually makes money. Either way, uh, Shopify is going to help you because that's what they are all about. Sign up for just $1 per month uh, trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Uh, One more time, go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash TSS. (laughs) 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back. Thus far, we are uh, feeling good about the selling of Luis Araujo. Excuse me. Araujo. yeah. Oh, is it is it Joe now as well? Taylor goes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> everyone's everyone. Oh, because he's Brazilian. Everyone's yeah. lied to me about all the pronunciations. Uh, yep. Yeah. So Facts. on that note, uh, Lucho Acosta feeling good about stock up uh, for Columbus and their style. Maybe down on Canada's midfield options. Uh, Goss, where should we go next? Um, I can stay positive, okay. and then we'll just end on a deluge yeah. of negativity. Let's do it. Um, I'll go. I'll give this. I didn't know who I was going to give this to, so I'm just going to go St. Louis team general. First time they've ever played against Sporting KC in the midst of very short time. Their worst run as a professional soccer team, especially in Major League Soccer. Uh, bounce back with a 4-0 win in front of an incredible crowd. I mean, it's, it is a moment in which if they lost every game for the rest of the year, they would have high points to celebrate and a sizzle reel to throw out there an experience that every fan who was in or around that game will tell their friends and family, you should go to a St. Louis city game. Cause it's awesome and it's fun. So that's all you can really ask for in something like that. What made it such a good atmosphere for you? Cause I'm assuming most people watching at home, it can be hard to get that sense of atmosphere coming through the screen. You didn't so- feel it. No, I mean, I, I think, I think I did. I think it's honestly that like the the San Siro from last week in the Champions League really sort of set the bar nice. high. Uh, I talked about this already, but like the way the commentators just stopped to take in the atmosphere. I think like you get those moments where you can really feel the the energy, the drums, the chanting. It really booms through. I'm not saying that that wasn't the case for me watching uh, the St. Louis game, but for you, what was like? Was there a, a central moment, a central event, or was it just sort of overall the intensity of the atmosphere yeah. did it for you. I think just you could feel through the TV, the energy in the building. And I think you saw it in the way the team played. It felt like a team that's been down. They still don't have Klaus back. Like there are question marks and they came out on the front foot. And every time in the opening 15 minutes that they did something right. And the crowd got behind them. Like it felt like they just got stronger and stronger. And you see like when the players get subbed off, just high-fiving fans as they walk around the field and everyone sort of singing and celebrating all at the same time. Um, so it felt like a club moment where as you start to piece together a history very early on, like this is one that will be central to what they choose to be. And yeah. this is, a, as fans, I think this was a moment we've all wanted to see Kansas City against St. Louis at the MLS ranks. 
And so I thought it delivered. Yeah, I, I really hate the manufacturing rivalries that I feel like comes up in MLS so much because just let it happen, man. Just like let the, the games I-95 happen. The I-95 Derby doesn't do it yeah. for you, Joe? There's so many of those that, that really There's bother like me. Just 12 teams on I-95. I just want to make yeah. that point real quick. It's Is is that like an actual one? Is that is the I-95 Derby it's a real Philly, thing? Philly, D.C., I believe. Like, we just got to stop sometimes, you know? But this game, I feel like, delivered on a lot of the buildup. And I know that the buildup for this match goes outside of soccer, right? Like, this is an actual regional rivalry that's going to pop up in, in... You could play cornhole, right, in, in Missouri, and you would get this kind of thing, right? So I, I love that we actually got what felt like a real rivalry game and something that will continue to become like a bigger and bigger match in MLS as more of these games are played, and we'll see plenty of them over time, right? So I, I like that a lot. I'll flip it to the other side. Stock down for Sporting Kansas City. Like, I thought we were finally starting to see this team find their mojo, find some rhythm. The DPs are back. They were playing together. And then this happens. And it's like, I actually didn't think there was a massive difference between these two teams in between the boxes. I thought that in general, St. Louis had a, a lot of success with their press, pressing in a 4-2-3-1. They gave Sporting Kansas City some problems, but Sporting Kansas City also found their way through. And even on some of the pressing sequences, they weren't giving up like tap-ins in the same way that we've seen even Chicago in a, in a, a result against St. Louis recently do. The biggest difference for, for Sporting Kansas City in this game, though, was the goalkeeper. I think I talked about this yesterday. I, I talk about this stuff a lot, so I get confused sometimes. But you had Kendall McIntosh in one box, and you had Roman Berkey in the other box. And I was harsh on Berkey coming in. I was harsh on this signing for St. Louis because he spent a lot we of money. Were. Actually, I can't say for Goss, but I know for me that no, was, was the one that felt like it felt you're signing him a year before you're even playing. Yep. And he's playing with your St. Louis 2 team. This makes no sense. Is this just because he and Lutz are buddies and they like golfing or bowling or something? And here we are. Turns out he's quite good. Turns yeah, out a Champions League goalkeeper, quite good. It's worked out really, really well. And I, I have Dortmund friends that are like, yeah, this guy was terrible at Dortmund for us. And now, like, Near he post looks Berkey, completely man. different, right? So, yeah, Taylor's, like, shook at this still. Well, I just, and I he should really, be. He, he became, I just need to emphasize this. Joe, I'm sorry to keep interrupting you. No, it's fine. Like, there was a moment in time when he, like, I he was near post Berkey. Any shot of the near post, for some reason, he could not handle. That was his vulnerability. David De Gea had shots from distance. Uh, other goalkeepers just have problems with shots in general. Berkey, it felt like kept getting beat at the near post, such that, yeah, he it felt like he was a liability. He was one of those goalkeepers that I never felt fully confident was going to be able to have yeah. a complete performance for like over the course of two or three games. And now for St. Louis, pretty good. Yeah, very, very good. And so you had him in one pretty box, and you have Kendall McIntosh, who's like the, the third goalkeeper on Peter Vermees' depth chart, because Tamilio's been injured, and they don't trust Pulse Camp, it doesn't seem like, and... They, they just don't actually have a, a real go-to option in that spot anymore. And McIntosh was rough in this game. Like, on the season, I think he's allowed five goals on 3.5 uh, post-shot expected goals, which basically means, based off of where the shot would be on the goal mouth, these smart mathematical models and people can can determine that he's allowed one and a half goals more than you would expect. That's It's really rough, especially in that small of a sample size. He could turn out to be a really good goalkeeper, and, and he could be a good option because the sample size is small. But the other way to look at it is that, man, this this goalkeeper spot is just holding SKC back in the moment where it felt like, okay, they've got two wins in a row. Like, they're really challenging. Okay, now they go in and draw LAFC, and Dennis Bawanga's all complimentary about how they play, and they look like a real team. The moment they get there, another another thing breaks. It's like you're plugging leaks in a boat, and it's like, all right, got the last one, plugged it in, we're good, and then one breaks again, and, and it's like the biggest one because it's the goalkeeper. SKC just have so many problems right now, and for everything good about St. Louis in this game – you could point to an issue about Sporting Kansas City. What's the best parallel for Peter Vermees right now? Like a, an MLS 
sort of managerial legend who's been there for forever, who I felt like was always going to be there and kind of somehow stayed at the top of their game, but is now fallen off or not, if not fallen off is just having a very rough go of things. I would say it would be like if Bruce arena with the galaxy hadn't taken the U S gig and stayed there, but then just slowly fell into mediocrity. Like I, I struggle to think of another situation. I was going to say, I, I don't watch, I don't watch a ton of the NFL at this point because soccer never stops. Bill Belichick is like the one that I thought of. I think he's involved on more than just the coaching side. Like I think he has some decisions about what the roster looks like. And the Patriots were pretty mediocre last year. And he's been around for forever in that organization. Um, it, it's tough. It, it continues to be for Vermees. It continues to be this, this issue of identifying talent. Like the squad is good and has some very good players and they've nailed some signings. They've also missed on a lot of signings. The back line doesn't look like it's good enough. Uh, they don't have the depth in the attack, the the right wing spot, you know, after Johnny Russell, really the left wing spot after Shallowy is a big question. They don't have depth. They don't have quality in goal. They don't really have quality in the middle of the back line. They have game changers and they will win games. And I think they're going to end up higher than where they are in the standings right now. But it, it might take some more meaningful change for this organization to be consistently competitive. We'll have to see. The two uh, MLS comps that come to mind, because I won't talk about the New England Patriots optionally. So I'll move away from that. Um, would be Dominic Kinnear with the Houston Dynamo, won MLS Cups, took them to MLS Cups, and the league changed, and the club didn't really change with the league, and it fell on Kinnear, which I don't, probably wasn't fair at the time, but you get into a situation, I think we're seeing it in the NBA right now, of like, well, you can't fire every player at the same time, so you fire the coach to try and change things. The other one would be Ziggy Schmidt with Seattle, um, and Ziggy... Would have contested till the last day that with Nico Ladero coming in, he was going to turn things around and that they were going to win that year. And they let Ziggy Schmidt go and Brian Schmetzer took over, who was his assistant the entire time. So the change of voice was not that heavy. The change of style and system and any of that stuff wasn't really there. And they went on to win MLS Cup that year, as Toronto fans would like you to know, without taking a shot on goal. Um, but Nico Ladero joined, I believe... Ziggy Schmidt maybe coached him once or he joined a week after, whatever it was. And Ziggy, similar to sort of with Peter, he built Seattle from day one. Um, they had, he had won a ton of Open Cups. He had won a Supporter Shield. They were, you know, they had a fantastic atmosphere. They were a big club. Like, he had done so many things on and off the field that kind of were like, well, this is his job. And then that shifted. Dude, you just blew my mind. Like I, I have a complete uh, the like Mandela effects uh, Berenstein Bears situation over here. I completely remembered it and had it in my head as Siggy Schmidt passed away as the coach of the Sounders and Brian Schmetzer took over. Yeah, completely forgot about that season with the LA Galaxy and and Siggy Schmidt. Uh, yes. yes, so that is a great shout, uh, David. Goss. So the point though on that one would be Garth Lagerway took over as GM and he's the one who let Siggy Schmidt mm. go. Peter Vermees is the GM. Those are Could the big. He let himself go. Yes. Okay. And then he'll, Conceptually, he'll stay on in yes. some capacity, yes. Conceptually, um, yes. I, I think since Goss did such a good job of uh, reminding me of Siggy Schmidt's timeline, uh, Goss, why don't you keep us going here? All right. I will go to another legendary coach who will probably be fired soon. On the downside, and Bob Bradley, it has been rough. On my list. The team All is right. rough. I'm excited. Let's talk the about it. The performances are rough, but I think it clearly seems like the breaking point right now is the relationship with the players. So Lorenzo Insigne, everything we're hearing is that he is refusing to play for Bob Bradley. We're not sure if he traveled to Austin or not, 
for this match. Um, but he's their relationship seems to be broken. And then I think even with the amount of money you spent on Insigne, if that was isolated to that, think it'd be manageable because Insigne's been so poor as a player. But Bernadeschi's been like the only bright spot over the last year. And Bernadeschi comes out after the game and says, we have no tactics, which that's Bob Bradley's thing. He's good with tactics. Like that's why he has been successful. Uh, So for your star player to come out and basically say, he's not bringing the thing to the table. That is why we want him here. It feels like that rift probably goes deeper because you don't say anything about Bob if you have a relationship with Michael that players on TFC used to have. So now you start to get into a deeper hole. And we can talk about Bill Manning whenever you guys want. But that guy should probably get fired. What? I mean, we were talking before the show about how Goss's computer sometimes struggles to load transfer market. Bill Manning's computer does not in terms of (laughs) identifying talent. Um, yeah, it, but the it squad only is, loads the Italian .it. <laughs> right, right. Out of contract, Serie A players, 2023 summer, okay. This is um, the president of Toronto FC, by the way, for people who are uh, less informed about the league. It's All the Jake things Morris are, fans out there. Exactly. Things are, things are bad in <laughs> Toronto right now. And Taylor, you and I talked about this last week. Their deserve stock down because it, it just keeps getting worse, right? Goss, mm-hmm. you're right to bring up these comments from Bernadeschi. Very much a, a shot at Bob Bradley and how he perceives this team to be missing some different tactical elements. Uh, from watching this team, I would agree, at least in part. Like, they have a general style and they have some ideas of how they want to play and how they want to defend. But you know, it, it doesn't look like they really have concrete ideas of how to break teams down. And, and uh, the one quote that stood out to me most from Bernadeschi is, when a player has the ball, we don't have ideas for the movement of another player. If you create by yourself, good. If you have three or four players around you, talking about opposing players, it's impossible. Like It doesn't feel like Toronto have, whether it's the ideas or whether it's the execution from the players, I think it might be a bit of both. It doesn't feel like they have the ability right now to go out there and, and completely dominate. I will say, though, for even with some of the blame falling on Bob Bradley, even with some blame falling on, on the roster build, which goes back to Bradley and Bill Manning, like... Bernadeschi and Insigne should be dominating this league. Like, I, I can't really imagine a world where Toronto's tactical approach is, like, less formulated than a team like RSL, right? Or than a team like, I don't know, even, even Austin, who have a game model but, but aren't really super effective or dynamic in that game model. Like, is Toronto's tactical approach really dramatically worse than these other teams? I don't... I don't think so, right? Maybe a little bit, and maybe they have their problems, and, and Bernadeschi's in a position to know more I about that than DC I would have put DC United over in Austin. I would okay, just say enough, that. Right. But your that's, point that's is fair. completely yeah. valid, which is there are teams higher than them in the standings yeah. who probably don't have a more sophisticated tactile and, and those approach. teams that are higher in the standings don't have two of the most talented players in Major League Soccer. Like, I'm fine for some of this blame to go out Bob Bradley's way. I, I think there should be blame that goes out Bob Bradley's way. But, like, let's, let's be clear here. If Toronto have... A, a Lorenzo Insigne who was trying and who was not, you know, potentially faking an injury. If you have a Bernadeschi who's trying, this team is going to be phenomenal, or at least they're going to have the ability to go out there on any given game and terrorize opposing back lines. And you know what? We're not seeing that right now. So yeah, sure. Toss and blame Bob Bradley's way. Like have conversations about tactics, be irritated about this, whatever. Play these games. That's fine. And I think maybe they should be played, but like go out there and, and actually try. Like, go out there and be what they're paying you to be. Because right now, Toronto aren't getting that from their two biggest players. They're not even getting these players on the field together. And it's, 
it's embarrassing. Here's the other thing that I put on Bob Bradley right now, which I don't think Bernadeschi would because I don't even know if he has the context to. Um, so Bill Manning has taken over from president, which is business side for people who don't know in an MLS structure to overarching. He is the leader of the club. So, so some clubs are built where you have a sporting leader and a president that feed into an ownership directly sort of next to each other. Some have where the president, who is the business side, is the overall leader of the club and the sporting leader feeds into them. And then other clubs have someone who comes from the sporting side who becomes president. That's what Tim Bezbachenko is. That's what Garth Lagerwey is. So they are technically in charge of both the business and the sporting side. Their background is from the sporting side. So they are the head of the sporting side more directly, normally, than a president is. Bill Manning has gotten his hands dirty. That's why we keep making jokes. And very involved in the player side. I don't think it's a coincidence that Tim Bezbachenko does not work there anymore. Because if you have a president who starts to get really involved in the thing you do that you've done really successfully, that's normally when your resume starts floating around or people start wondering, hey, can I give you a call? What's your interest? And obviously Columbus was home for him. It was a bigger story than just going to a club. You were saving the club from moving. There's more involved in that. So Bill Manning, I think, gets a lot of blame for the biggest issue for Toronto, which is the gutting of the middle of the roster. There is no strength or depth in this roster. So as much as Joe talks about Bernadeschi and um, Insigne, the fact that they start Richie Larea at center back or whoever the hell started at center back this week who's not and a center And then as a winger the next game yeah. as well. <laughs> Over what they used to start, which was they had three or four center backs and depth in the roster. And Victor Vasquez was a non-DP. And Mark Delgado they picked up because they got him out of the Chivas USA dispersal draft. And that guy's a border national team player. And the wingers that they used to pick up who were coming out of league on, but they got them on good deals because they were doing smart work. The, the quality for Toronto was in the depth of the roster. So Bill Manning's at fault for that falling apart. But the other side of that is on Bob Bradley, which is this is one of the great youth developers in U.S. soccer history. And he had all of last year with basically a mulligan of like, Insigne is coming in the summer. We're not going to win MLS Cup. Here's your chance to blood these guys to build out the middle of the roster through academy players who can give us some depth and some options. And Jaden Nelson, Luca Petrasso, Jacob Schaffelberg, Noble Akel, all of them are homegrowns that were on contracts that played last year. None of them are in the club anymore. And so that part, I think, goes on Bob Bradley, which is he basically gave up on trying to develop young players out of their academy. And so he doesn't have a roster to use. Whether it was his decision to sign Hedges and Rostead and trade for Mark Anthony Kay, that I don't know. But those three combined with Michael Bradley, I could have told you that they missed some games. Those are old players. Those are injured players. Those are players who play positions that cover a lot of ground. Now you add Osorio, who's getting over 30. I think he's 31 now, whatever it is, to that group. You knew you were going to have to fill in minutes. They do not have the players on the roster to fill those minutes in. I think first blame goes to Bill Manning there, but a second level of blame goes to Bob Bradley, and I think it's fair to be upset with him about that. So it sounds like not one thing is good right now. If you all had to guess what is the first domino to fall, based on the structure Ooh, that's good. and the contracts, my assumption is that it's Bob Bradley. Yes, it is Bob Bradley. Yeah, I think it, I think it has to be. I don't think there's really another way around this. I'm not sure... Genuinely, I'm not sure that that domino is going to fall 
Like I, th- I think still in my mind, the most likely outcome is that there's some sort of internal resolution that's found and everybody kind of muddles through and maybe we see something change after the season. Uh, but if, if that's the most likely outcome, then I think the next one is that Bob Bradley is no longer coaching this team at some point in time before the end of the year. Jurgen Klinsmann to Toronto FC. Let's make Confirmed. it happen. Let's Confirmed. make it happen. Nice. Uh, South Korean coach. He could do both at once. Yeah, he probably He's, could do both at once. Yeah. He was a technical director and a manager, David, lest yeah, you forget. True. He could yeah. do both at once. He could fly his own helicopter between <laughs> the two. Can he really? He does fly helicopters. You didn't know that? No. I, I would. There's a dive joke to be made here, but that feels too morbid. So instead, I'm just going to ask Joe what his next point is going to be, since I think that was a Goss-Lowry combination uh, yep. downer. Joe, where yep. are we heading next? Um, so I've got, I'll do an up and then I'll, I'll do my last one on a down. Minnesota United are up right now. Emmanuel Renoso is coming back. Minnesota United star midfielder. He's been cleared as of, I think, last Tuesday. So it's been a week since he's been cleared to return to action. And he sat down. He's talked with his teammates. I think there are, are still challenges there. And certainly there are fitness challenges. Renoso is not going to be in full training. Uh, Adrian Heath said for the foreseeable future. So there's still time here. But that's a, a big win for Minnesota, a team that's really built around a star player in a way that few MLS teams are. Like, they are, they're all about Reynoso, or at least that's what I thought. At this point in the year, they're sticks in the Western Conference, which is good, but not great. It's it's fine, but nothing to, to yell and, and celebrate from the rooftops about. But the fact that they're doing this without their best player is impressive to me. Like, I don't think there are a lot of teams in MLS that could play at an above-average pace for this long without their biggest star. So credit to Minnesota. Like, they're getting some results. They're, they're doing fine in the Western Conference. And like, the big reason why they're on this list for me is the fact that they're going to get their star player back at some point, whether that's in a month, whether that's in six weeks, whether that's a little bit sooner than that. I don't know what Adrian Heath's version of the foreseeable future means. But I think things are looking better for Minnesota United right now than I thought they maybe would at any point this year. David, any thoughts on Minnesota? Or should we just keep it rolling? Not really. I'm, I, I'm surprised Joe feels that positive, but I can understand his point of where they're at in the standings and who they've missed. That, that felt that felt like a, a little Jewish grandmother right there. Of like, I'm happy that you're happy. Yeah. That's wonderful for you. That, that, I'm that, just that's disappointed nice there, you don't David. come see me more often. <laughs> exactly. But I'm glad you're living a good life. Um, nice. Good for you. Good for you. Obviously, the Robin Ludd injury changes that a ton just because he's been their best player. And yep. even with Reynoso back, he is super important for them. Um, and I still don't know the answer in goal scoring, even if Reynoso is the one creating the chances. The big thing for me with Reynoso is just we have no precedent for this. We don't know what he looks like. We don't know how long it takes him to get. We don't really know what happened. So I think a lot of that is question marks for me. Um, but... As Joe said, I think Minnesota's shown an ability to continue to battle and will be in a playoff contention no matter what happens. All right. So that's, that's I'm going to say vaguely positive from Goss, mm-hmm. more positive from Joe. Uh, Goss, keep us rolling. I'll go down and I'll just say Phil Neville's health and his just ability to function in his everyday life. It feels like every time he finds an answer, he loses it. So it's injuries, it's U20 World Cups, it's... Maybe going to be messy, maybe not. Uh, if it's not, what happens this mm-hmm. summer? I think now we're starting to get into a space. Let's talk about that. Like, if it's not messy, what do they do? Do they do anything? Um, so I just think that's frustration for him. And I don't totally blame it on him. But I think the best player on this roster right now is Sergio Kristov. 
and he took him off on the 33rd minute because Erkin Kara dominated him on a long throw-in for the opening goal at the near post. Like, if you are starting to scramble with that, there's really nothing left to build off of. And even with the messy hole, I think there's expectations for Inter-Miami and their fan base. And so I think this is going to be a really long year for him. All right, let's stick with that for a second because I find that fascinating because it does feel like at various points, messy to Miami, seems like it's going to happen, not going to happen. Seems like it's going to happen, not going to happen. And when we're talking about Lionel Messi, th- there's no there's no player that can sort of come in and be like, oh, we didn't get Messi, but we got this guy. So right. it's all good. I mean, short of getting like Erling Haaland or Vinicius Jr., I think you're sort of going to have to kind of settle for the next tier. My question for you all then, are there any players, not even that have been linked to the club, but that you think could sort of come in and generate a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of excitement, but also elevate that team. I'm thinking of, I don't know, like like South Americans who are coming to the end, maybe, or out of contract. Like, Roberto Firmino is obviously out of contract. I don't think he makes that splash. I don't think he makes that sort of huge difference. I think he is a has been a world-class player, uh, may still be, uh, eh, debatable. But I think, like, he is still not going to be at that level that is going to maybe turn a bunch of heads, certainly not the way Messi would have. Again, I'm not sure there's anyone who can, but who all would you say is a player that you think could do that job, could be an exciting splash signing for Inter-Miami? The list is not long. Like, there are players that could come in and would be big signings coming from Europe or or coming from wherever. Like, But is is a Wilfred Zaha out of contract with Crystal Palace going to be that guy? Like, (laughs) no, no, not, not at all. It's... It's, I don't think there's a great answer to that question, Taylor, to be honest with you. Miami put themselves in a very difficult position. Goss is probably going to find like the perfect answer as I'm talking. I, I don't think there's a I'm great one. I'm looking through names. Miami, Miami season like completely hinges on that. Either way, like this, this part of the season has been irrelevant for them. Like If Messi comes, no one cares about what's happened so far and everything's fine. Everything's great. If Messi doesn't come, like they're still a mediocre team in the Eastern Conference and like who, who cares, right? I, I don't know. I really struggle with this in Miami season. They've dealt with injuries, and, and Phil Neville's been dealt a tough hand in that regard. But it's just so hard for me to figure out like how to feel about this Miami team just because the way they built their roster even. Like, it doesn't have to be messy. They just need a playmaker. Like they, they need a playmaker that can then continue to try to elevate the team until their defensive midfielders come back later in the year. That'll be in the fall. And hopefully they're, they're ramped up in time for the playoffs because everybody makes the playoffs and everything's fine, right? That's what they need, but they can't go out and get that player until they figure out what's going on with Messi. And so we're just treading water and treading water, and it's getting harder and harder for Phil Neville to do that successfully. It, I don't know. It's, it's a weird, murky, messy, maybe irrelevant situation going on in Miami right now. Messi, 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 Messi. Um, yeah, I don't have a good name for you. I'm sort of skimming through like South American. All right. I've got, I've got a couple nominees for you if you can't come up with anything. So the ones I came up with just real quick, were all like, they're the same, which is they're 33, they're 34, yep. they're done, right? You can't really get a center forward. So like a Cavani or Firmino doesn't make sense because you do have Campania and Joseph. Mm-hmm. So it has to be a different type of creative player. A fake one that popped up for me is like, can you convince a Mario to come and like leave Benfica where he's a little closer to his prime, but it doesn't really connect you with a, a population in the area that like gets inspired. Um, so yeah. All right. Here's, here's a couple for you that are out of contract. Uh, does Tony Cruz 
coming to Inter Miami not do anything for you. No. Not at jo- all. Joe says no. I mean, gotcha I would now. love to see him in MLS for sure, but yeah, it's not the same. What about an Angolo Conte coming in and even less, midfield? like even a bajillion less. percent less? Yeah. Why? Just because you want a creative attacker? Yeah, I mean, you want Miami desperately need a creative attacker. I want to see these players in MLS. I think that would be incredibly entertaining. Yeah. At least Tony Kroos like passes the ball, and Golo Conte's whole game is that he he runs a lot, and now he's old and doesn't run as much. Uh-huh. That doesn't feel like the best idea. All right, what about Jesse Lingard, who is out of contract, has been good when he is the man, there, when he's man. the big fish in the small pond. Isn't he getting Saudi money at this point? Where is he playing right now? I don't remember. Maybe he's he not. He was at Nottingham Forest, but he's out of contract this year. So Yeah. I mean, I, right. if Lingard would, would do good things in MLS, I think, but yeah, it's, none All of right. these are even are coming close for me. Then I have one more for you that I think could be fascinating and I think could work because he's also out of contract, though I'm assuming we'll get a contract renewal offer. Ah, he is 37 years old, Oh, I don't. but Luka Modric coming to Inter-Miami. The most of any of those, without okay. a doubt. I mean, you play him as basically a number 10. He kind of can do whatever he wants. I think that would get you closer than any of these other things. Um, I think Real Madrid also has such pull that, like, though I don't know how big of a Croatian population there is in Miami, I think the Real Madrid history and lineage and successes there would maybe make him an appealing draw. Yeah, I, I think all those players would be intriguing signings. Uh, none of them really do the same thing, although Madrid gets the closest. Inter Miami just need help, man, and maybe it comes in the form of Luka Modric. Maybe it doesn't, but they're yeah, yeah they're in a tough spot. I will say, one. I think the target would be someone around thirty who's at a club where it's not going the way they want, and rather than hey, maybe I'll drop down to a Leverkusen or I don't know, yeah, a Roma, something like that. Try let's do something new. Hey, that was sort of the pitch with Javinko. Um, that's sort of the pitch we've seen with other things. I think that becomes more of a changing signing where it's like, oh, this is exciting versus all of those are like in the MLS model of retired guys. Um, unless you can tap into a Brazilian or Colombian community down there where they're going to be inspired. They're going to come out and that is a game changer. On the Brazilian side, I would say you're probably then, if you're going to make spend game changing money, I'd rather you go get in their prime player who's playing in Brazil or like an Everton who's playing already in the Middle East or in Asia for big money where you're like, this is a 28-year-old who everyone knows, even though they're not in the Neymar convo, that you'll respect the fact that we sign them and they'll make us better. Okay, now that you've said that name, because that's a very good point, and that is probably the most logical way to go. What about Neymar, <laughs> who PSG do not yeah. want? Uh, that also feels like it could make a lot of sense. I don't know how good he's going to be and how motivated he's going to be. I don't uh, think any of that matters. I think the problem yeah. you run into first is if you pivot to Neymar, what's the like Neymar camp vibe of like, oh, you couldn't get Messi, so now you're talking to us? I mean, that is, is that not Neymar's entire description? Exactly. <laughs> so I think the issue of signing him is one, and I don't know if now is the time he's going to come to Major League Soccer, but that would be that would be the best case scenario if you missed out on Messi. Have we talked about how I quietly love Neymar? Because I, I do, and I really want him to have one more... Uh, I don't know, sustained run of like, oh, right, that guy's really good. I just don't want it to be with Manchester United. Ah, I, there it I is. hate <laughs> those rumors, and I don't want that to happen. So Neymar to Inter-Miami, we solved it, gentlemen. We solved it. Uh, Joe, I think you were going to end us on a negative uh, yeah. at your leisure. 
I've got my last one. New England Revolution. I'll speed through this one. They've only won one of their last four games since Dylan Barrero was injured. And Goss, you and I were on that show the weekend or the, the Tuesday after that injury had gone down against FC Cincinnati, missing him for the rest of the season. They beat Toronto. Uh, in, in the first game after that, then they lost to the Pittsburgh Riverhounds in U.S. Open Cup. Then they lost to Miami. Then they lost to Philly this past weekend. I think New England still have the pieces to be a good team, but I think we're seeing like live and in person how this team is really going to struggle, at least for stretches, without any winger depth or any starting caliber or above average talent in that position. They just don't have it now. We've seen Noah Buck play a bit higher. And I'm not a huge fan of that, but he can impact games. Emma Boateng can impact games, but... I mean, it's it's not great for New England right now. I think their their depth is being tested. They've got the goalkeeper on the number 10 to stay in games, and they've got the goalkeeper on the number 10 to win games. But I don't know. I don't think you can look at this New England team and say, yeah, they're they're the same threat that they were before that injury happened a few weeks ago. But if you had to be a former U.S. national team manager, would you rather be Bruce Arena right now than Bob Bradley? Uh, yeah, like by a lot, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather be fired living in Toronto than have a job living in Boston. <laughs> I was surprised with Goss's vigorous head shake until I remembered nice. the, the, the Boston hate. Are you enjoying? I don't even this? care about Boston. Toronto is a great city. Okay, but are you enjoying the Celtics uh, near collapse? Not really, because it's to the Heat. But it, but the fact that it is so catastrophic makes it better. Okay, like I'm if glad, if one of the teams is going to lose, you want it to crater their entire future at the same time. Joe, are you still watching the NBA playoffs? Or are you are you fully out now? Casually, I'm just watching it and being sad. Aww. That's all. Jokic's the best player of all time. So he is determined. He's unreal. He's yeah. unreal. It's I'm great. determined to make this show even longer, clearly, by going to NBA playoff chat. Goss, why don't you bring us home? You've got one more, I believe. Yeah, I'll end positive. Troy Lassane, hey. we talked on this show like the day he took over. What could it be? Seven points in three MLS games since he's taken over. One tie on the road, two wins at home, including an Open Cup victory over their biggest rival in DC United and an MLS victory over their biggest rival in NYCFC. Like, it could not have gone better. It's not gorgeous to watch. It's not super fun yet. He's getting some more pieces healthy, Lewis Morgan, hopefully, over the next few weeks. But if you're a Red Bull fan, you needed this because I, as I've said, I think Troy Lestin's going to be a good option. You needed a steady platform for him to build off of. He has now earned that. If they beat Cincinnati in Open Cup and they have a cup run sort of sitting on the side where you can even then add in, like, Ah, if things go up and down in the league, like what Orlando did last year, well, let's focus here. That would be even bigger, and it would obviously be the first one um, in – it would be the first cup victory in Red Bull history, which would be historic. But either way, it's gone exactly how you want it to go over the first few weeks, and that's just huge for him and for the club. The important on-topic conversation we need to have. If you name your kid Troy, it's pretty mm. much cowboy or sports personality. Is there is there much else? Or I guess if you're Troy Aikman, cowboy and sports personality all at once. Ah, <laughs> uh, nice. That's good. Yeah, those are your only two choices. They yeah. they only okay. open up two doors for your kid, yeah. and they sort of crawl through one as an infant, and whichever way they go, like you already know. If they can't get into sports, weatherman I think is still an option. Ah, uh, yes, of course. Oh, Troy the weatherman. That yeah. is that's a strong shout, David Goss. Well done, my friend. Big well storms done, coming in from north of Burlington this weekend, so remember, farmers market could be closed. Check before you go on Sunday. 
Has Troy ever shopped at a farmer's market? I'm going to ponder that one off air. <laughs> For now, gentlemen, I very much enjoyed this. Uh, I love getting to bounce around the league and hear what you all are enjoying and maybe enjoying slightly less. David Goss, it's good to have you back. You, h- How much sunscreen are we talking when you're doing these things? Or are you indoors? Because I am, I am shocked that you are not a shade of red that would indicate how physically uncomfortable sunburn could be. I'm actually from the part of Russia where we get really tan, apparently. So I don't burn that bad. That just feels like a a part of Russia that was uh, maybe conquered by Russians. Potentially. Not really (laughs) sure. But I'm big on hats. So I go hats and then Mm. I have my little sunscreen stick and then a little spray. We talking baseball hat? We talking safari hat? What's going on there? I switched through the tournament from a baseball standard baseball Mm -hmm. hat to a bucket hat. Bucket hat. And then white, white nose as well? Uh, no, what? Zinc nose? Is that what yeah. you just said? Yeah, white nose, like full-on sunblock. No, but I am going this weekend to the Indy 500 for the first time in my life. So I Whoa. will be wearing a tent throughout most of that <laughs> event to try and protect myself. Uh, well, good luck with that. Uh, Joe Lowry, a man who is always very busy and I'm assuming is loving how long we're going as we talk about sunblock and hats. Joe, thanks for being here, pal. Weirdly, actually, sunscreen and hats is like the area where I feel most at home in a conversation. <laughs> so I'm kind of down for it. I come from the part of Arizona where uh, I don't tan. And so I, uh, I definitely can relate to the sunscreen talk. Guys, this was fun. Joe's like, we talking Neutrogeno? Yeah, what are we yeah, talking? We talking, bro? Yeah, yeah, yeah we talking 45, 60, 70? I don't I got a guy who's got less than 75. So, yeah. <laughs> Joe just swivels his camera around to show a wall of different sunscreens. The way some people have liquor liquor cabinets, Joe has a sunblock cabinet. I love I'm it. I'm feeling banana boat tonight. Let's be a little kooky. <laughs> Oh, that's good stuff, gentlemen. Uh, Folks, thank you. Thank you for listening. Hopefully you all are enjoying this as much as I have been. Uh, We will talk to you again tomorrow with some listener questions. For now, thanks again. Talk soon.